for years my ministry was based upon my relationship to Jesus Christ and your relationship to Jesus Christ. And that is so very, 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 very important. But God has broadened my scope of understanding to realize the necessity also of our relationship one with another. If I would take the key words, I would say the key words would be integration, interdependence, interrelationships, communication, body life, however you want to describe it, to fulfill the purpose of God, which is what? What did I tell you God was, His goal was? <laughs> Corporate unity, right? Not denominationalism. The purpose of God is that they might all be that the whole world might know that God, what? Sent His Son. John, the 17th chapter. People say, Brother Webb, you review. <laughs> Why do I review? So you get what I said. I'm supposed to, like the black preacher said one time, I tell them what I'm going to tell them, I tell them, and then I tell them what I told them, and then they still don't remember. <laughs> so uh, that's it. It's part of maturing. This element that we're talking about right now, the element of a horizontal relationship, one with another, a corporate relationship, which again is that when we talk about a corporate relationship or unity, a corporation is where there's a group of people with a common cause and one person at the head of it seeing to it that it all flows properly. should be that way. But it's part of maturing. Now, you see, the purpose for which God has saved us is not just to save us, but that we might come into, the, as, as Stan just said, come unto the perfect man conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's where he wants all of us to go. Now, he's got us here, and he wants us here, and he has to have some type of motivation to bring us to that place. And many, many times in the midst of all these changes, we're saying, oh God, where are you? Oh God, what happened? Have I missed it? And we, we get frustrated this, this, this morning, and it was a very desperate and difficult time for me when I was ministering to a dear brother back here when finally God began to show him why God was dealing with him the way he was he just began to cry out oh God oh God oh God I thought that I was where I ought to be and I see I'm not and he got down next to a chair and began to weep before the Lord and cried out oh God I'm sorry oh God I'm sorry and I said, I know, this, this must be a devastating thing. When, when you're walking along, you think, well, here I am, and here I am, and suddenly God shows you a new truth. I said, he said, it seems like that's all that's happened to me. I said, bless God, that means God's working in your life. I said, for 26 and a half years, God does that same thing to me. Just about the time I think, praise the Lord, from here on out, it's going to be coasting, he shows me another steep hill or a cliff, one of the two, or a sharp curve. And why? Because he still sees some of that old sediment in me. He says, nope, another shape. And I, <laughs> I don't like that dumping. Get used to these words. Interdependence. Interrelationships. Body ministry. Flowing in the Spirit one with another. Because I believe that's what God's saying to the body today. Father, in Jesus' name, let the Holy Spirit now come and as own wonderful way and just lift out of the natural these things that we're about ready to teach Lord it's so easy to let the human aspect just the fleshly aspect be manifest but I ask right now that all of the flesh will be crucified our own will our own desires 
and that others might see Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit's directing in their hearts and minds the necessity of this happening in our lives to be what God wants us to be. For Jesus' sake, we declare right now we want you to be Lord. We want your leadership in our lives. And we expect you to show us exactly what you'd have us to do in Christ's name. Amen. I said that there's going to be two ways this morning that God is going to bring about His purpose. He isn't going to change, so we're going to have to change. And if He isn't going to change and we're going to have to change, He's going to have to bring things into our lives to cause us to want to change, to motivate us to change. I said one of them would maybe survival. The other one I said that was maturity. And as we come into this place of desiring to mature, we're going to find these experiences come into our lives that we didn't expect. And the first one I think you'll find is that in our progression as Christians, we're going to find a continuous sense of dissatisfaction. You know, by that I simply mean that in 1951 I was a lost sinner, miserable, nerves so completely gone that the doctor told me here I was 16 years of age. He said, by the time you're 22, you'll be dead if you don't slow down. The deeper I plunged into sin to see that thinking that that would satisfy me, the more dissatisfaction I found. Until I started looking at my sister and saw the tremendous change in her life, how she just went from a drinking, cussing, smoking, rowdy, overnight into what seemed like an angel to me. She went away immediately feeling God's calling on her life to be a missionary, went away to study for the ministry. And when she came home, I saw she had something genuine, and she took me to church. And you know, the second night I went, the most fantastic thing happened to me. I thought all of life's questions had been answered for me right then and there. I asked Jesus to come into my life, and I repented of my sins and asked him to become Lord of my life. That night and I got up, you couldn't have find, found a happier soul on the face of the earth. I really don't believe. I thought, praise God, I have found the answer to life. And I had. But you know something? I found out that that didn't settle all the problems of my life. I found out that that didn't make everything just a bed of roses, and from then on I wasn't going to have any difficulties or any problems. And before long I saw myself beginning to hunger for more. And I remember when I went away to Bible college in 1954, my second, yeah, the, the end of my second or the beginning of my third, no, it was in my second year. So uh, that had to be in 1953. 1953, we had revival meetings every year in school, two weeks of revival during each school year, plus every Friday night we had missionary conventions and rallies, and every day we had chapel. In the middle of every morning, we had a chapel period with special speakers coming in all the time. The first year, I majored in ping pong and rowdiness and minored in school. And when I came, went home that summer, I had no intention of going back to school because I had seen some poor testimonies in the school, in the faculty. And I said, forget it. I never want to go back to that school again. And God had to deal with me all summer. And I mean, he dealt harshly with me that summer. And finally, the dean of men, finding out from my pastor I wasn't planning on going to school, he came to my hometown went to our church to speak, and when he saw me, the first thing he did is kick me right in the seat of the britches. And he could get away with it. I called him Pappy French. He loved me. I saw that man sit at his desk and weep when he had talked to me about getting certain things in my life straightened out for the Lord. And God got me back to school that second year, but when I went there, I knew that if I went back, I had to get down to business with God and begin to get something out of school. 
And I began to get a new hungering in my heart. Lord, I'm not satisfied where I am. Lord, don't pass me by. Lord, don't just leave me like this. There's got to be more than this. There's just got to be more than this. And I began seeking the Lord, and I, I found what it was. They began to teach on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You wonder why I'm trying to emphasize the difference between baptism and the Holy Spirit and fullness of the Spirit. It's because I knew all about filling, being filled with the Holy Spirit for five and a half years. I heard it preached. And I saw it in the lives of individuals who never knew what a gift of the Holy Spirit was in their life. They didn't know what it was to pray in tongues. Now, we had some of those funny people around the school that came from over in Minneapolis at a church called Calvary Temple, Calvary Assembly, or no, Souls Harbor, Calvary Temple, Souls Harbor. And they'd come around there, and I always noticed an effervescence and a joy, and when they wanted to pray, man, I mean, they'd knock the walls clear down, and the ceiling would collapse, it seemed like, and heaven itself would come down when they'd pray. They got one of those funny Christians in there as the head of the prayer, missionary prayer group, and some noons before that they'd have four or five there, and when he went in took over, the whole gymnasium was jam-packed clear out in the hall and down the hall, people weeping before the Lord for the missionaries. I saw it, but I thought, well, bless his heart, he's one of those funny guys, I'm not going to get too close to him, but I hungered for something more. And there came a time after fasting and prayer and seeking the Lord, I found what it was to experience the joy of walking in the Spirit. By that I mean I had a joy and a peace and the old flesh was not going to be in control. The old flesh didn't take, take authority over me and I was able to walk in victory day after day and see fruit in my life. I thought, glory to God, I've arrived. That's right where I want to be and just exactly what I want to see. But you know, after a while I found out that that wasn't satisfying either. That wasn't enough. I always have had a dissatisfaction. I came into the experience of the baptism back there didn't know what it was. I've come into the baptism experience here in this ministry and have seen the church turn around without any split and without any losses and go right on for God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've seen the Lord open up the area of deliverance and people get set free. And I think, glory to God, we're getting it all together now. And I begin to see miracles begin to take place in the church. People getting healed and I said, we're there. But we're not there. You see, when God begins to bring us into a walk with Him, He is constantly, constantly, eternally changing us. And I just want to say that I still want more from the Lord tonight. Do you? You see, if you don't have a desire, you'll never change. Some people can come in. Now, I don't believe this. As difficult as it is, I, I almost stand in amazement. But many people can come into the services where I preach the very same things that you hear, and God's saying, boy, he sure messed me up today. He sure stomped all over me today. And then go out just whistling Dixie and think nothing of it and go right on and say, I don't know why everybody gets emotional in there. I'm just doing fine. You see, there's no dissatisfaction in their life. But I want to say to you that if you've ever been genuinely born again of the Spirit of God and you've ever said, Lord, I want everything you've got for me, you are going to live in a, in a, a state of dissatisfaction because if you ever come to the place where you're satisfied, God can't take you any further. He said, I would that you were hot or you were cold, one of the two. But if you get lukewarm, I'd just as soon spew you out of my mouth. I want you to be in a place where I can move you. Philippians, the, second, the third chapter, verses 7 through 14. I want to read it to you. <coughs> Philippians 3, 7 through 14. This is the Apostle Paul after he had ministered for years, had known to see miracles, persecutions, 
gifts of the Holy Spirit, everything. In fact, he was taken up into the seventh heaven or third heaven. Taken up to the third heaven, he said he couldn't even describe it. It was just too beautiful to describe. Had all these glories. He had visions. Well, there's that, that, that apostle, and here's what he said. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now listen. The old apostle, the old saint, verse 12 of Philippians 3. Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I, what? I'm still moving, aren't I? Not that I've already gotten there, I'm still following after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are, which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now Paul says, he hadn't stopped after all these years. He was still pressing. He was still running. He was forgetting those things which were behind. He was reaching. He said, I'm still in a point of dissatisfaction. I still haven't done everything I should do for Christ. I'm still not all that Jesus Christ wants me to be. Now, I just simply want to say that if the Apostle Paul felt that way after all that he went through, God help us if we can say, oh, glory to God, I've arrived. I've made it. And I really believe that in the maturing process, the thing that we need to understand when this dissatisfaction comes into our heart all the time, we shouldn't just stand there and rebuke the devil all the time and say, devil, get away from me. But rather we should say, Lord, thank you for this sense of dissatisfaction. I'm going to hunger all the more and thirst off all the more after righteousness because you said if I hunger and thirst for more righteousness, I will be what? What? Filled. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, have a total, continuous dissatisfaction as to where we are, and we want to go on with God and say, God, I'm never going to come to a terminal. I'm going to be at a passing place to go on with you. That's evidence that we're maturing. I can't tell you how many times in my 26 years of knowing Christ, I really thought maybe I had come to a terminal. You know, I thought, I've pretty well got that down pat now. Most of those chapters, you know, there's not much in there. If somebody talks about it long enough, I'll catch it and I'll be able to go. And you know, about that time, God lays something on me that I've never seen before. And I'll tell you, you don't know how many times lately in the last year I've said, God, don't do it. <laughs> not for a while. Let me just, you know, I'm still licking some wounds. Lay off for a while here. But you see, we, we can't. We've got to keep on going. We'll have a sense of dissatisfaction. And uh, like I say, if we don't sense that dissatisfaction, we ought to get down and ask God to give it to us. If we're content where we are, God pity us. Because there's an awful lot of things that we need to go on with God on. The second thing is that 
in our maturing process, there's going to be times that we're going to feel hemmed in or hedged in. And I want you to turn with me to Hosea. Hosea. You know, it's interesting sometimes to be sitting next to someone that's showing someone else, letting someone else read on with them. We get into these books we don't go to very often uh, to see them, you know, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Hosea. And, uh, they have a little struggle finding some of these littler books. But it's, it's good for us to learn where the books are. May I share a secret with you, though, if it'll comfort you at all? I have never memorized all the books of the Bible yet. Isn't that terrible? After 26 and a half years? Huh. It's terrible. I have these little kids come around singing the books of the Bible to me. I say, I don't know that tune yet. But uh, I know generally where they are. Hosea, page 931. So, Hosea, the second chapter, verses 5 through 7. Now, this is a story here. Uh, Hosea is... God is speaking through Hosea to Israel, and he said that they're going their own independent way and doing their own thing, and God was resisting them. It wasn't Satan doing it. God was resisting them. God was resisting their independence, and so they were just dissatisfied. Everywhere they're going, everywhere they'd go, God had just set up a hedge or a wall for them. Verse 5 of chapter 2 of Hosea, For their mother hath played the harlot, she hath conceived them. She that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers talking about Israel now, that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. It's a very similar story to the prodigal son in the New Testament. And what the Lord is actually saying here was, here is Israel going off after this thing. Here's satisfaction over here. Maybe I can find some satisfaction over there. And God says, I put up a wall of thorns for them, and I put up a hedge for them, so they couldn't get to them. And when they would try to find their lovers, they couldn't catch up with them. Now, how many times have you and I gotten into the situation where we started to get away from the Lord, and we thought, boy, forget it. And we start to wander off and get into some backsliding, and every time it doesn't work out. Either the thing that we were going to do or the place we were going to go or the, the thing we were trying to execute just fizzled out. And in fact, sometimes I, I know in my Christian experience, I, I thought, boy, this time I'm just, oh, forget it, you know. And I'd start off in a certain direction and all of a sudden, I just, it just stopped. Now, you know, there's some Christians when they want to do their own thing and things just stop them and they can't get any further, they just get all excited inside and they say, I'm going to go through that wall. I don't care what it is. I'm going to make it through. And they start rebuking Satan. You know, I learned a good lesson about this the other day. I'm hearing Charles... Well, this is on, even though it's under there. Uh, listening to Charles Simpson when he was speaking. <clears throat> he says, you know, a lot of times when we get into deliverance ministry or get into healing ministry, we start calling the devil all kinds of dirty names. How many of you have called the devil a dirty name? <laughs> Anybody here? <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to the club. And he just shared something that I... I had seen, but I hadn't, you know, you get into the midst of things and you just kind of go along with them. Another thing where you think, well, I pretty well got this down pat. But he said, you know, it's awfully nice that, that, that God doesn't listen to us sometimes because some Christians are puffed up, they'll puff themselves up. Have you ever seen some Pentecostal brethren or charismatic brethren uh, begin to tell God what to do? They'll, oh God, oh God, oh God. And they'll, 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 they'll go through these gyrations at first and then they'll begin to demand that God do something. Basically, it comes from a verse in the Old Testament that they've twisted a little bit. It 
talks about commanding God. Really, it says, does the clay say to the potter what he should do? Uh, on and on, it names several illustrations. And then it says, will you command me that I might work or that I might do the work? And they, they say there, see, God says to command him to do something. And that isn't what it says at all. In other words, he's saying, if the clay doesn't say to the potter, do it this way, he says, who do you think you are telling me how to do it, how to run my business? Now, I'm not saying you can't move God with prayer. But I'm saying you don't command God. And a lot of times we get into deliverance, we begin to curse the old devil. We just call him all sorts of names. And he said, you know, the word says that even the angels of God, the archangel, doesn't bring a railing against Satan. He just says, the Lord rebuke thee. Now stop and think about that. You know, I, I've heard some people in deliverance just call the devil all sorts of names and say, you ugly old thing. Well, when we start calling him ugly, it shows our own ignorance because he's more beautiful than any of us. They say he's stupid. No, that shows our ignorance. If we think Satan's stupid, he's a lot better looking, he's been around a lot longer, and he's a lot smarter than us. And that's why we need the mind of Christ, and we need to walk in the Spirit. And there are times when we just have to simply say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He can do a better job of it than we can. Well, no, I'm not going to charge extra for that, but I thought that was an interesting insight. But you see, there are times when in our maturing, we're going to begin to wander off in this direction or that direction or another direction, starting to do our own thing, and we're going to have a hedge and a wall dropped around us. And it isn't always Satan, it's God. Bringing us back to the place where we say, Lord, I'm sorry I wandered off. I'm sorry I did this. I talked to a man here recently that said that he really had been praying about something, and he went ahead and said, well, God opened the door now. It must be his will, and he went ahead and did it. And again, I said, well, now, I'd love to say that what you say is true, but it's like a message I just preached recently. I was saying this to him. I said, many, many times we go down and get on our knees and begin to beg God and cry out to God to show us something when all we have to do is open the book. He said, well, how can you tell the difference between when God's telling you something and Satan's telling you something? I said, well, first of all, you have to get into a line and into the flow of what I've been preaching about lately. You've got to have horizontal relationships. You see, when I got into this subject that I didn't want to get into here recently, I had to bring it to the men. I said, I submit this teaching to you. Now, before God, pray with me, pray for me, study, find any answer. I went to many other pastors in the area and said, show me, teach me, I submit to you. What is there in this? Is there something I'm missing? And I thank God for those horizontal relationships because in each one of them I said, show me any area where I may have missed it because I don't want to get into error. And I said to him, I said, whenever something like this comes up, if you don't know the Word, and of course there's a great advantage when you've studied the Word for 26 years and something comes up. I think we've got too many mics on here or something. Do I hear a revive here? Uh, there's a great advantage in this because now, in 26 years, when somebody says something to me, bingo, a verse will come into my mind and it'll immediately check me. Or somebody will begin to tell me something about a doctrine. I have a great joy when the young, the young Christians come around, you know, and they're so eager to grow and they're so anxious to learn, and they'll come and they'll just lay a new doctrine on me that they just learned, you know, and they'll say, glory to God, this is, isn't this wonderful? And, and I just, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to go <laughs> and pop the balloon. And so you try to let them down very easily, very gently if you possibly can. Now this morning, one dear young Christian was disturbed over a subject they, and I'm going to, maybe I'll just share it. I feel like I should share this right now. They came and said, Pastor, you just finished talking about divorce and remarriage because that was part of the law. 
thou shalt not commit adultery, but you bypassed another one that is about the Sabbath day. I said, you know, it says to keep the Sabbath holy. We're supposed to keep all the laws of the Lord and all the commandments of the Lord, every one of the commandments, and yet uh, many times we go out and eat in restaurants on Sunday and we go to the filling stations on Sunday and get gas. And by doing that, we make other people work on, the Lord, on Sunday, on the Sabbath. And you began to share these things with me, and, and I wanted them to be able to express it all. And I said, now, let's go back and let's, let's try to look at it, and I'll show you why I didn't do that. First of all, the Lord's Day is not the Sabbath. Second, the New Testament Christians worship the Lord on the Lord's Day, not the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is not for New Testament Christians. Not the Sabbath day, because if it were the Sabbath day, which was designated only for Israel. Now, you see, I, Jesus even jumped over Moses to show you that the marriage and divorce issue was not a thing of the law. It was a universal law that was established in the Garden of Eden. But the Sabbath day, establishing it for a nation, it was established for the children of Israel. For example, you weren't supposed to light a fire on the Sabbath. How would you like to be a Christian in Minnesota? Under the Sabbath law. You couldn't light a fire on the Lord's day, on Sabbath day. You'd be in a problem, wouldn't you? Now, of course, they'd say, well, we've got an automatic furnace. But what if it went, well, of course, if it went out, then your donkey fell in a hole. But you're not even supposed to start a fire on the Sabbath day. If we start observing the Sabbath day, then we also have to observe the Sabbath week, the Sabbath month, the Sabbath year, and the year of Jubilee, the 49th year. It means that we have to take the whole thing into effect, and if anyone is working on the Lord on the Sabbath day, we're supposed to kill them. Anybody want to start that program tomorrow? Now, if we're following the law, that's what we're supposed to do. Anyone found working on the Sabbath is supposed to be stoned to death. Now, I've seen a lot of people stoned on, on Sabbath around here, but I haven't seen anybody stoned to death recently. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that we are to enter into our rest, our Sabbath, and that Sabbath is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, on the Sabbath day, they took off the whole day to go and worship God in at the temple or at the tabernacle. And during the rest of the week, they went out about their business. Now, Jesus said that hour is coming and now is when they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth, and we don't have to go to the temple or the tabernacle because we are the temple. And we leave our works and we enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Now, the word of the New Testament does tell us that on the first day of the week we're to return that which is to the Lord, lay aside as the Lord hath prospered us. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I believe that it is wrong for a Christian to put anything else first before the Lord on the Lord's day. I think it should be a time of fellowshipping with God's people. Now, I realize that if the ox falls in the ditch on Sunday and you can't get to fellowship with God's people, that's another thing. And again, I will add to it as I have in the past, but if the ox falls in the ditch every Lord's Day, shoot the ox or fill the ditch. But you need to be with God's people in God's fellowship, in God's communion, one with another, on the Lord's Day. It's not a whole holiday. It is supposed to be a, a day set aside to worship the Lord with God's people. But we are not under the Sabbath law anymore. That was drawn up for Israel. Now, you check in the New Testament, every one of the other commandments Jesus enlarged upon and brought to the true intention of God. He said, Thou shalt not uh, kill, and I say unto you, that whosoever hateth his brother already committed murder in his heart. 
The word said, the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say to you, whosoever looketh upon a woman of lust in his heart hath already committed adultery in his heart. He went right on down the line in each one of these things, but he said nothing about the Sabbath. You see, because on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. And David in his prophecy said, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. What day? The day in which Jesus was to raise from the dead. 